Good morning, OBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to the Story Podcast. Today, I have a super awesome guest, but before we get into that, if you like this episode, or if you find any part of this entertaining, please be sure to like, follow, subscribe, check us out on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, um, Apple Podcast. If you really want to help us grow, please be sure to rate us or leave a review. That is how we get boosted up in the ranking system, so that way other people can listen to our podcast and actually see us there in the rankings. With that said, I have on Mr. Ryan Giesemann today. Ryan Giesemann has been involved in media and technology since the 7th grade. While he spent a good amount of time on the stage in high school and college, his professional career has been mainly behind the scenes. He holds a degree in television slash radio from Ithaca College and a master's degree in information systems from Penn State University. From 2004 to 2018, he serves as video production director at LCBC, a multi-site church based in Mannheim, PA. An award-winning film producer and editor, he now serves as chair of the Communication and Media Arts Department at Lancaster Bible College, Capital Seminary, and Graduate School, directing the Media Arts Program. When not behind a camera or in front of a computer, Ryan is a husband to Stacy, father to Riker and Carter, avid film watcher, and enjoys smoking various meats. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Corey? I'm doing awesome. So you said this all, this all starts in seventh grade. What got you into it immediately? What hooked you apart? Uh, I guess it was theater that got that was the impetus. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was always my my mom is an organist and pianist. Uh, my dad was a, a vocalist, and so I was always around music and performing in in some aspect, very much around the church, uh, honestly, um, and. So that became a big part of my life. I played uh, trumpet in elementary school. I had taken some piano lessons, um, and I, I sang as well. And so through that sort of that musical outlet, I was also interested in theater. You know, I saw my first high school musical when I was in elementary school and thought, someday I'm going to be on that <laughs> stage. <laughs> and so I uh, did, did theater throughout uh, high school as well. But but in seventh grade, the thing that kind of kicked off my interest in media, and not even really seventh grade, it, it, it started before that in just, I had an interest in all things electrical um, mm. or tech, technology. Uh, so cameras were very interesting to me. So I went through a, a photography stage. Um, my family never really owned a video camera growing up, but when I would come into contact w with one, I would want to figure out how it worked and, and what you could do with it. Uh, and so with a borrowed video camera, even in, I don't know, so that was seventh, so probably fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I made a stop motion uh, animation with construction paper of a roller coaster. Um, so that's probably where it all started. But in seventh grade, we had a class project in geography where we had to take a country and do a mock newscast. And I knew that at the church that my family attended, they had all kinds of video equipment because we had been on television at one point in the history of the church. And it was all kind of just sitting there, not being used anymore. Um, but there was a young guy in, in the church who I said, Mark, you know, would you be willing to help me with this class project? So I think it was a Saturday, brought everybody in from my group, you know, it was a group project and they all came to the church and Mark came and helped us set up and we did a mock newscast on France. Wow. And, uh, and I just loved, uh, I loved all, all the parts that, of creating that and then doing the editing after the, the fact, which at that point was like one tape to another kind of editing, linear editing. Uh, and that from from that point forward, I was like, this is I, I want to do this. Um, and so I started to acquire some of my own equipment just to be able to play around with it. And my friends and I started making movies through high school, just stupid things uh, that I don't want anybody to see anymore. Uh, and then uh, I helped create one of the teachers at the high school to create our first TV studio at the high school, which ended up being the back of his classroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's it's always really funny whenever, because um, we had the same kind of project as well uh, growing up in high school. It was a Spanish project where we had to create a video using Spanish or whatever. And if you look on it somewhere, in, somewhere on the depths of YouTube, you can find me 
doing the awful Spanish and throwing, you know, we were kicking soccer balls around and you could see me throwing soccer balls at my friends. Very funny. I hope no one ever sees it in, in their entire life. <laughs> well, thankfully, YouTube didn't exist back when I was uh, going in, going through high school. So Let's talk about that. You're, um, you talked about cutting tape and then pasting it. Uh, or well, How would you put it back together? That's, that's my question. Well, so vi- video editing was different than film editing. Film mm-hmm. editing, which I've, I've done in my undergraduate, um, is literally cutting the film and then taping it back together. Video linear video editing is two tape decks, and you would play back one, record it on the other, and that's how you would edit your your pieces. So um, you would have you know multiple tapes or just different scenes that were recorded on the the, the raw footage, and then that you had an edit controller that would control the two decks, line them up, and kind of record on one while the other one plays back, and it was called linear because you had to do it. Linear. linearly right <laughs> it was, it, if if five minutes into the edit you decided you wanted to change the length of the first shot you got to start all over again oh no <laughs> yeah uh, so from there technology has changed a smidge a smidge a smidge yeah what was it like from your seventh grade and then uh, I guess you decided you wanted to do this for a living. Mm-hmm. What was it like from the time you went from seventh grade into your college career? What was the change like from there? Yeah, um, I mean, even looking at colleges, I, I really only looked at two schools. I looked at Kutztown University, which is a state school here in Pennsylvania, and I looked at Ithaca College in New York. And the difference was mind-blowing between the two. and it really wasn't a choice for me. I ended up, I think, applying to both, but Kutztown really just as a backup plan. Mm-hmm. Um, Ithaca was far above Kutztown in terms of the technology that they had there. Uh, and so I knew that that's what I wanted to be exposed to. I didn't want to be exposed to old technology going into a technological field. Right. Um, so, but even even saying that, there was one room uh, at Ithaca that had nonlinear editing, so computer-based editing, because this was pretty brand new. I mean, it, it had been around, but it was w- way too expensive for anybody to, to really uh, have. But it was just coming to that point. You know, this was you know, 1997, um, early 2000s. Um, and so by my senior year, I actually had the ability to do nonlinear editing on my massive desktop computer in my dorm room. <laughs> How long would that take to render out? Uh, well, I do remember that the first, the first editing system that I set up had a, oh boy, um, maybe it was like a nine megabyte, no, nine, nine gig hard drive. It was a SCSI drive, uh, which was the fastest thing around at the time. And that hard drive while I was editing would get so hot that it would stop working. So I actually had to open up my computer, hang another, like, I think I used paper clips uh, hanging a fan that was just blowing on the bottom of the, the hard drive to keep it cool. So, you know, there were there, there was some learning curve there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it always mo- blows my mind whenever I see like the technology from like Star Wars or like the original um, Star Wars or for Jurassic Park or all these monster machines that take years to like render yeah. um, comparatively. Whereas today, you could literally click a button and have it render in like 30 minutes. Yeah, although, I mean, even today, the difference between my Mac laptop that's probably, I don't know, five years old at this point, and a desktop computer here at the college, I, I had a project just last week that I was working on, and I started it before I went to bed at home and it was going to take hours, and when I woke up the next morning, the computer had crashed, so I, I had absolutely nothing. So I brought my hard drive in here to the school, plugged it in, and the thing rendered in five minutes. So it, it really just depends on the hardware that you're working with. So over your college career, what was one of the, do you think, one of the most eye-opening experiences or one of the most, oh, this is something I, I can take forward? Or was that had that already happened for you, do you think? Um. What was interesting when I went to college was I had spent so much time in high school already 
learning the craft. And uh, I had been doing wedding videos. I had been doing a lot of editing. Um, there were times in college where I felt like I, I think I might know more about this particular wow. topic than my professor. <laughs> now, that was not true for everything. Uh, but there were times like that. And so um, I, my probably junior and senior year, I ended up being a, a teacher's assistant for some of the, the courses, you know, the intro courses and things like that. And so that was probably my first taste of teaching, um, which comes around a little later in my story. Uh, but I, I had that opportunity to start to teach others some of the things that I, I already knew how to do. What was that like teaching your peers? Well, they weren't necessarily my peers because I was a junior or senior at that point. They were gotcha. they were freshmen. But um, it is funny because I, I have run into some of those folks then years later, um, and that's been a fun opportunity. I actually live just down the street from the sister of one of those students now. That's awesome. So after college, what is, what's your path? What do you want to do? What are you doing from there? Do you immediately go into your master's or? Well... In college, my junior year, I did an internship uh, with a company in L.A. So our uh, Ithaca had a, um, a, a program. It was kind of like study abroad, except the abroad was abroad the, the country, <laughs> <laughs> the other side of the country. Um, and so the way that was set up is the main portion of that semester was a, a, um, a pretty intense internship. So you you were on your own to find that though. So mm. first week we were out there, it was figure out where you're going to intern. Um, and so I interned for a, a little production company called Unipix Productions, but they were doing shows for Discovery Channel, the Learning Channel, things like that. That's cool. Um, and then we would take some classes out there as well. So I really enjoyed that experience probably more than I thought I would. I wasn't... I grew up in this area, you know, Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania. I wasn't thinking I was going to in be interested in living in a city like, like one Los of the Angeles. biggest cities <laughs> in the US. Right. But I did I did end up uh, enjoying it. One of the things about LA that was so funny that I learned very quickly was you you try to avoid the freeways uh, as much as possible. So the first day I drive to my internship, it probably took me an hour and a half to get there cuz I took the freeway. And that day, somebody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to do that. Go through the city. So then I started driving all of these like random roads through the city, and I could get there in 45 minutes. <laughs> wow. That's something I've learned driving through like New York. It's like, avoid the beltways or the three-ways yeah, as, yeah. as much as possible. It's going to take – it might be more frustrating, but it'll take a short amount of time to go just to go through the city. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of great experiences while I was uh, in LA. LA. I um, – I got to do a voiceover session with Danny Bonaducci, whose name may not sound familiar, but uh, if you were older, it would, because he was one of the uh, Partridge family yeah. children. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Remember the name vaguely. Yeah. That's awesome. So he was the little redhead boy in uh, the Partridge family. Um, but I, one day, this is a funny story. One day they came around the office. They were looking for somebody to do a new voiceover for a show. They had produced the show originally for, I think, Discovery or the Learning Channel, and it had like a, a, a very British kind of low-key voiceover, like very intelligent sounding. Um, David Attenborough? Yeah, it was <laughs> something like that, right? Uh, just, it's, it was in, like a nature kind of documentary style, um, and so very proper uh, English voiceover. But ABC was picking up the show, and they wanted a little more excitement in it. And so I had been listening. I had Danny Bonaducci at the time had a morning show on the radio. And I had heard him uh, on my drive to work that morning. I was like, what about Danny Bonaducci? And they're like, that's a great idea. He'll do anything for money. <laughs> <laughs> so sure enough, they, they sign on Danny Bonaducci. So they let me come to the voiceover session with, with Danny. And he ended up calling uh, my mom and saying hi. To That's her. awesome. That's fun. <laughs> but at the end of all of that, um, they essentially told me, hey, when you graduate, come back out here. You'll have a job here, which is great. Uh, and so I'm thinking now I'm going to graduate. I'm going to move to L.A. I've got this job with Unipix. Uh, my senior year, they went out of business. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of changed plans for me. Um, 
but that's kind of how things roll out there in, in this industry. You, you have a job. It lasts for as long as the show lasts or as long as the company lasts. And then you go on unemployment and then you find another job. And that was a little bit of a wake up call before I even got there to say, do you want to live this lifestyle of job to job to job? And uh, I decided, no, that probably wasn't. You know, my my mom was a kindergarten teacher for 35 years. My dad worked at the same company for his entire career. And so I just, that that lack of stability just wasn't attractive to me. So I ended up staying here in Pennsylvania. And um, I started working in computer programming for uh, Penn State College of Medicine. Uh, and because I was working for Penn State, I could go to school there. Yeah. Um, for a very reduced rate. So uh, I always tell people, listen, if you can get somebody else to pay for your education. Do it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so You're winning. Uh, exactly. So I was able to finish my master's degree in about two years, two and a half years. Oh, wow. Um, Short, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't. A master's degree isn't as many credits as an undergraduate mm. degree, so you can get it done pretty quickly. Okay. So I got that done. Where you know, I was working full time. I was taking classes at night, but I didn't have a family. I you know, I was single. I, I had time for it at that point. So what was um? How did that differ as opposed to the Ithaca education? Well, so I went to Penn State Harrisburg um, campus, and. I would say it's a it's a different experience going to uh, a master's program because it, it is a lot of working adults who are taking classes. Um, so it's it's just a different environment. Um, I, I really enjoyed my master's program and actually thought it was fairly easy to get done. And I was telling you earlier, um, I'm now working on a, a PhD. That is not easy. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, definitely... Uh, a different experience. You know, there's a there's a lot of community built around traditional undergraduate education. Uh, so you, you really get to know your peers in traditional undergraduate. That's not necessarily the, the way it's yeah. going to be in, in graduate, especially in the master's program. I would end up in, in classes with different people every time. The PhD world there is a little bit more community. You kind of have to lean on your your peers for encouragement and am I actually going to make it? <laughs> so, right. so you have a cohort there that you're kind of working through things with. So there's a little bit more of that community coming back in the in the PhD program for me. So what'd you do after your master's? <clears throat> Let's see. Um, as I was finishing my master's, well, so I was working at um, Penn State Co College of Medicine. So that's in Hershey. Uh, for my first year, I was commuting from my parents' house. Um, I grew up in Bethel, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, so intersection of 501 and 78. I used to joke that the only reason it was on the map is because there was a gas station there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that was probably a 45-minute drive or so for me each day. <clears throat> so uh, eventually I decided I was going to move closer to work, and so I moved to the E-Town area. And when I did that, I was planning, I was, the, the apartment was right down the street from uh, Hershey Evangelical Free Church. That's where I thought I was going to attend church while I was there. But a friend of mine from college uh, had moved into the, I think, the Lebanon area at that point. And she said, oh, you got to check out the church that we've been going to, uh, this place called Lancaster County Bible Church. And uh, I said, uh, all right, I'll come like the first weekend after I move and then I'll start going to Hershey Free right, like I'm yeah. planning to. Well, I went to uh, what is now known as LCBC and I was like, okay, this is where I'm going. <laughs> um, and they were just starting to get into video production. Uh, they had some, they had a sort of a, a part-time video producer there to create some some fun videos, but they were moving into live video, so iMag image magnification, because they were building a new auditorium. <clears throat> so I started volunteering with all of that while I was there. And um, before I finished my master's, actually the last semester uh, with Penn State, I was uh, offered a full-time job at the church working in um, 
both video and web design. So it's kind of taking my background in video from my undergraduate degree, my web uh, acumen from my job at Penn State College of Medicine and kind of pulling those two things together. So what was it like to switch from, because previously you've all done uh, for film. How did that change when you went to church? Or was it similar? So actually my background wasn't film because back when I went to school, film and video That's right. were two very different things, right? Because you know, when I started, we were still doing linear editing on tape decks for, for video. Film was literally cutting. Actual film. Yeah. yeah. So they were very different things at that point. It's only been in the last couple of decades here that um, there's been that crossover between film and video, and essentially now all of the equipment is the same. So... Going to the church for me, it it actually was very comfortable because I, w- I, I was very familiar with studio cameras and, and studio lighting and um, had done field production with uh, cameras and audio out in the field. So it was very comfortable making that move. Um, I was probably a, not a great web designer, definitely front-end design, not my thing. I was more of a programmer back end. I could make it all work um, in the, in the background. Uh, that was it'd be so, functional, but not was, pretty. Exactly. Yeah. This is what's, that's what we have graphic designers for. You make it pretty. I'll make it work. <laughs> so, and that was at the very beginning of their uh, production at LCBC. Yeah, it was um, at that point. I want to say when I when I started attending there. I didn't start working there right away, but when I started attending there, I want to say there were about 2,500 people that would come on a weekend across, I think they had something crazy like five gatherings on a weekend (laughs) between Saturday and Sunday just to get all the people through because it was a small auditorium. Now then, like I said, they were building a new auditorium, which now holds 2,100 people at a time. So then once they moved into that, there were fewer uh, services each weekend. So what was it like to uh, come in at the budding almost of their video production and then overseeing it grow, 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 grow exponentially? Well, it was great for me because I wouldn't have been ready for what it is today. Uh, so as, as the ministry grew, I was growing both in my skills and my ability to lead a team. So when I first started, it was just myself and one other guy who was, so I was kind of doing the field production side of video and he was doing the live like weekend uh, type uh, video work. And it was just the two of us um, making the videos with a a team of volunteers because, you know, I had been a volunteer there uh, before I started full time. So there were others like me who were, who who were volunteering. So we, we did some fun stuff. It, It was acceptable. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, as we grew, I was able to hire uh, additional folks for the team. And it has always, I mean, I've heard this said before, but it's always been my thing as well, that I will always hire people who are better than me because Mm. (laughs) I want, I want the the organization to succeed, right? I don't, I don't need to be the best at everything if there's anything that I need to be the best at, it's picking the right team. <laughs> Absolutely. Delegation is your friend. Right. Uh, so I was, um, I learned very early on not to say no for people because there were people who I thought, oh, well, they're never going to leave that job to come work at the church with me. Right. Um, so there was a, a, a young guy, uh, actually same age as me, who uh, was a volunteer and uh, I had this position, and he expressed interest. I was like, but you work at a production company in Harrisburg. He said, yeah, but I sit in front of an editing computer for eight hours every day churning out videos, and I don't get to spend the time that I want to on them. I get to spend the amount of time that the budget allows. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So he's like, I am just an editing machine right now. I would like to come do something more creative. And so... uh, yeah, so through relationships like that, we were able to build a, a great team. Uh, when I left in 2018, uh, there were six people on the video production team at the church. So 
at that time, were, were you guys doing like the live baptism stuff with, with all that crazy magic going on? <laughs> uh, I can't remember now when exactly that started, but I mean, I think we had probably been doing it for at least half the time that I had been there. Once I, so it was seven years. It's probably been going on now for 10 to 12 years. Were you one of the people that set that stuff up? or? Yeah, I, I don't remember how that idea was born necessarily. Um, I think one time they were just, you know, what if, what if we could take footage from the baptisms that just happened and incorporate it into a song it's happening th- right that's now. happening right afterwards? And we said, yeah, we could probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> And for those, there's also a YouTube video about how it's done on on LBC channel, the LCBC channel. Um, yeah, I actually I don't know off the top of my head where that exists. It's insane what they do. So, like you said, they have the baptism live, or uh, and they record it live, and then seconds, may, they may, maybe have like a minute to spare, and uh, th- there's a song going on in the actual worship service, and then they they relay that footage, edit it all with the name and everything. And put it up on the screen as the song is happening, it with within like minutes to spare or like seconds to spare rather. Yeah, although I mean they do this in sports all the time, right? That's fair, <laughs> but also for like for the church though to do that. Yeah, so we're just kind of doing an instant replay kind of a deal there. That's so cool. <laughs> um, what are some of the worries that you have to worry about uh, when that happens? How do you manage stress? How do you deal with uh, the, you know, office politics? Shall we say? Uh, you mean in that type of job or in that type of job uh, in that type of position? Yeah. Um, so I will say that LCBC was a great place to work. Um, and I didn't leave because I was unhappy with anything there. Um, it was a great environment, great leadership. Um, and I think because it was one of my early jobs, it would have been easy to take that for granted. Like Mm. everybody has a workplace like this. Um, but I recognize that that's not true. So there wasn't a lot of workplace politics. I, there were disagreements, but um, you know, part of the, the the fact that it was a great place to work was that we had the value of keeping short accounts with people. So if you're upset with somebody, you go talk to them about it. Have the right conversation with the right person at the right time, which means you know you're not talking about somebody. You're talking to them and no triangling. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, I wouldn't say there, that there were a lot of uh, office politics or, you know, if there were toxic um, relationships in terms of, you know, two people that just were butting heads constantly, that was going to be addressed one way or the other. Um, so it was either going to get better because they worked things out or it was going to get better because somebody was going to be removed from the situation. Uh, so it... It's not a perfect place with perfect people, but it the the values there um, are evident in the in the environment, the workplace environment. So that was all good. I mean, certainly stress, uh, especially surrounding large holidays, Easter, mm. Christmas. Uh, we would amp up our game considerably, and it would be long hours and big projects. Um, but all of that is stretching. Uh, as a as an artist um so yes they were stressful but i think that's some of the times that i grew the most awesome so after lcbc what did you do next after lcbc i guess i came here so um the the story of kind of moving into academics it actually i mean it, it it partially is because of my job at lcbc I had to train volunteers. What I I found as a volunteer coordinator was people that came to me and said, I do this for a living. I'm God's gift to you. I'm going to make everything better would never show up because it felt like too much work to them. They they were already doing it. They didn't want to spend their their free time doing the same thing that that they did for work. So even though they, they felt like they had something to give, they just they didn't necessarily have the motivation to give that time or, or their skills. The people that came to me and said, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this looks really cool, they would show up all the time. And so because of that, I decided, well, 
I want to pour into those people so that they can actually improve in this area um, for for their own purposes, but also so that they can can Help. be yeah can 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 be servants here uh, in whatever way they want to be. So uh, we implemented a monthly training night for video production, um, which was affectionately known uh, as Video One Hundred One, and I again, discovered that love of teaching others things that, that I knew how to do. Um, and so after a few years of doing that at LCBC, I actually, I knew the provost here at, at Lancaster Bible College. I said, hey, if you ever have need for somebody to teach some video courses, I'd be interested in, in talking. Well, I think within a week I was having lunch with the uh, chair of the music department at the, at the time. Uh, because the live production program was living in that department. And uh, I think probably within a semester I was teaching. <laughs> so I did that for many years. Um, it was probably five years or so that I had been an adjunct. And um, it was around the time that my dad passed away that I had a minor midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not a midlife crisis but uh it it causes you to to reflect and uh he was 69 when he passed away and i was 36 and i did the math and said hmm, hmm. <laughs> i might hmm. be more than halfway done uh of course none of us know how right. much time we have but that was it just put a finer point on that for me so uh it made me think am i doing the most that I can with what God has given me. And uh, I certainly knew that my work at the church was impacting lives, but I saw my work at the college as a way to multiply that by however many students I come into contact with because they will go on and do other things with other people and have influence. Um, and so I, I came back to uh, the college and said, uh, hey, if you ever have a full-time <laughs> opportunity that would make sense for me, let me know. And again, within, I think, a week, I was having lunch with uh, the executive vice president and the provost, and they were saying, hey, not now, but um, maybe in a few years, There's this is kind of what we see uh, coming. And it was probably exactly three years later that we had lunch again and, and started the process of making the transition. So what was that like um this is very new for LBC to go into the, the filming, the live production, to really full force go into it. What was it like building the program? What was it like to expand what was already given? Yeah, so there was already a program here. Uh, it, had, it had bounced around quite a bit between the music department and uh, the arts and sciences department. It kind of bounced back and forth a couple of times. And as an adjunct, I just kept seeing the three letters on the front of my <laughs> on the front of my classes switch between pro and com and back again. I don't know what's happening, but um, now it makes a whole lot more sense to me. It just didn't have somebody specifically paying attention to it. It was a program that was here that was being. It was usually. Um, being run by somebody who was running some something else as well. Um, and so by coming in and being the sole director of that program, it gave it some uh, focus that was that had been lacking. So I, I think immediately the students really sensed that, oh, like this this is more important now. Um, or at least somebody's making sure that this is going well. Uh, so that was nice to see that um, it, it, there was almost a sense of relief from from some of the students. And uh, I, I just started looking at the curriculum and, you know, what makes sense, what doesn't, what do we need to add, what do we need to take away? Um, and so slowly been making those changes over the course of the, I guess, four years that I've been here. How do you decide as um, the director, what do you have to look to the future of what church uh, videography or cinematography might be, or are you looking to send people out to work in the film industry as as a as the entity itself, as opposed to church? Yeah, I think part of what I wanted to make sure we were doing was preparing students for whatever they wanted to do. So initially, it did very much feel like we had a program that was preparing them to be 
a production tech at, at a church. But not all of them necessarily wanted to do that. And so uh, one thing that we did was added specializations so that instead of kind of giving them just a broad overview of everything, if they decided, hey, I, I really want to focus on stage management, uh, they could go that direction. If they really wanted to focus on live audio, they could take more courses in that direction and focus on that. Um, and most recently, we've added now filmmaking and audio or music recording as specializations because I was sensing that those were areas that, that people were very interested in. Um, so, I mean, as far as what it's like, I'm, I'm listening to incoming students, prospective students saying, do you have this? Mm. Do you have a program in this? Because that's, if, if we don't have something to service those students, then I'm interested in, in filling that gap. And uh, on the other side, it, as our program continues to grow, there are going to be areas that naturally will atrophy because there is an interest in those, and then those need to go away. Um, you know, we're here to educate Christian students. Um, and so if they're not interested in the program, we can't educate them uh, in that area. Uh, if they are interested, then we should have something to, to fill that gap for them. So that's really how I determine which direction we need to go. And then within that, I look for somebody who knows that area. So for instance, with the film area, yes, I've done that. I mean, during my time at, at LCBC, again, that those, those two areas of video and film really started to blur. And so we became filmmakers. Uh, even though we didn't necessarily study filmmaking, the the general techniques were the same between video and and film. And now all of the language was becoming the same. You know, we didn't really talk about f stops and aperture in TV. We were just, we just said, is it exposed properly? Right, <laughs> uh, right. But now, you know, we're talking about depth of field and things like that that are more uh, filmmaking tools and terms. Um, and so when I was developing the film making specialization, I pulled together a group of experts uh, and said, so, you know, what do our students need out of this program? Here are the courses that we already have. What do we need to add to make this uh, legitimate for them and, and give them the tools that they need? So speaking about teaching Christians how to, you know, be in the film, how do you acknowledge that the film industry is a part of a fallen world and how do Christians interact with that? Well, I don't think it's any different than any other field. Um, how do you be a Christian physical therapist in a fallen world? Um, I think we, we get a little wrapped up in the arts because, um, more prominent. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess we are storytelling animals yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as humans. Like we, we love to tell stories. We love to hear stories. There's a, a, I think there's a reason that Jesus communicated through stories all the time uh, because he knew it was a powerful tool for communication. Um, and because it's a powerful tool, I think we get wrapped up in, well, you know, Hollywood is dark. Um, so, I mean, what we try to communicate to our students and prepare them for is, you know, yeah, if you're going to go into uh, this industry and not necessarily look for a Christian route or a ministry to work with or a church. Um, yeah, you're going to run into these things and you're going to have to decide sometimes, am I going to take this job on this film? Uh, what is that going to expose me to? What is that going to put on my resume? Uh, do I want that there? So there are some choices, some hard choices that will need to be made. Uh, even as somebody who does, you know, I am a full-time educator now and a part-time filmmaker. Uh, even as a part-time filmmaker, there have been opportunities that have basically been dropped into my lap, which I've said no to because I just I don't think I can get behind this project. Mm. Um, so those are some of the things that we're preparing them for. But I have no problem putting light in a dark world, <laughs> right? So I don't I don't want all of Hollywood to be. Um, non-christian yeah people yeah. that that don't have faith i i want to i certainly want to put faith uh people of faith in in those positions helping to steer 
that industry. There has been such a, a taboo of saying, oh, you work in this field? That wor- that field is so sinful. Or, oh, you're a Christian, you play at a bar, or you go to a bar? How dare you? Um, it's As a Christian, you need to separate the place because it's your ministry is people, no matter what. The mm-hmm. ministry is people, community, unity in Christ. Um, and that can't happen unless there is a people of faith going into these spaces, going in, filling these spaces with, with their light. And that doesn't mean going up and evangelizing every single person you ever see. It's just going there being a good person, going there being a help to somebody who's going through a really rough time because, let's be honest, they wouldn't be there unless they unless they if they weren't having a really rough time of things. Right, right. So don't be afraid to go out into the world and uh, into a very dark place because it's dark everywhere uh, for the most part and being that light to somebody who desperately needs it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean, you know, taking, uh, converting them completely or uh, that be your mission. Just be a friend. Yeah, and I, even the content that we're producing as Christian yeah. filmmakers we were just working on a project that was a very, it was a faith-based film um, that shot a few weeks ago. And I, I mean, I don't know that everybody on that set was a believer. I don't know that they had uh, uh, faith, but they were interacting with the, the content of, of this film and hopefully seeing Christ through uh, some of us that were professing Christians on that set. Um, and we were not, in the our our job on that set was not to convert people. Our job on that set was to make, make a, a film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But hopefully, we were being uh, good witnesses during that. And even to that point, everybody at PureFlex probably isn't a Christian either. It's just it's a job to them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not there's not there's never going to be a perfect environment, a perfect Christian environment. Even uh, you know, church hurt is a real thing. People even though they are Christians, aren't the best Christians. Mm. So you're going to have to deal with all sorts of levels of uncomfort or faith or challenges to your faith. And to go into a, a workplace expecting the perfect faith ba- faith-based workplace isn't going to happen. Right. So let's talk about your uh, part-time filmmaking, what, what that has included, all the fun stories of that, because you are an award-winning filmmaker. Yeah, so... That all started, I mean, like I said, we were really starting to make short films at the church that uh, as as technology kind of crossed over and we were doing more storytelling, we were basically becoming filmmakers uh, at the church and, and those guys still are. I still keep in touch with the, the LCBC crew. Um, but we had run into, had a, a volunteer actor named Brad Hawkins. Uh, so I had directed Brad on a couple of different projects there at the church. And uh, I noticed that he was creating a short film with his daughter called Roller Coaster. Coaster. Yeah. And uh, they had a screening in Lancaster. I was like, yeah, I'll go to that. And uh, so I think maybe B- Brian and I, so Brian was the, the gentleman I talked about who I hired uh, from the production company at LCBC. Uh, I think both he and I went to the screening. And uh, afterwards, it was like, that was pretty good. So I, I talked to Brad afterwards. I said, hey, I, I really enjoyed that. Hey, if you ever do another project, like I'd be interested in being involved somehow. And he was like, immediately, he was like, I was hoping you'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I very quickly, I think we started talking about the next idea um that he had for a film uh called filling in and uh brian ended up being the director of photography i was the audio recordist and editor on that visual effects as well um and so uh produced that one i think we did that in three days three or four shooting days which should have been five or six shooting days (laughs) we learned we learned pretty pretty quickly on that set how to manage a calendar um, and that uh, you can't base the calendar off of somebody's availability. If they're not available and the calendar needs to have more dates on it, then they're not the right person for the job. Because <laughs> um, we ran people ragged on that uh, that shoot. But um, that was a, a fun project. I mean, I'd never edited 
a narrative that long. I mean, that one came out to be, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. Mm. <clears throat> um, but uh, fun project, uh, Jared Odrick, who was a professional football player at the time, was one of the main characters. So it was fun to kind of have this massive guy <laughs> acting like the tooth fairy in that. Um, that's right. That's uh, that, That's right. That was the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, a, what a fun idea that was. Um, so then a couple of years later, uh, we went and uh, he, he developed a, a script for a short film called Calf Rope. Uh, and I mean, personally, I, I, I love that film and that story. Um, filling in was fun. Calf Rope was meaningful. Mm. <laughs> so mm. that, that one, uh, I really enjoyed working on that. So on that set, I was the first AD, so first assistant director, which actually was a, that's a role that fits me well. I wouldn't have necessarily known that going into filling in, um, but my skill set lends itself toward that role of first AD. Uh, had a great uh, experience on that. I think we had a six-day schedule for calf rope, which was, it was very realistic. We were getting people home on time. Uh, so that's one of the things that's most meaningful from that entire process is after the fact the people that were involved in the project thanked me for getting them home on time. <laughs> and that's my, that's part of my job as first AD. So that was very fulfilling to say, Oh yeah, well we were successful. We did what we, we set out to do and we did it in the, the time that we set out to do it. Um, so uh, that one, uh, the editing process was a little bit different on that one. Uh, things were crazy for me. I mean, th this was, uh, we released calf rope, basically in the spring of 2020, which if you remember anything about the spring of 2020. Exactly when everything yeah. happened. Yeah. So things were a little crazy during that time. Um, and so the editing process, Brad actually kind of did a rough cut uh, just on his own as the director to say, he did the director's cut and we would, we would work off the director's cut. And so I would, I would basically repeat everything that he did. And then we would, from that, polish, trim, uh, make things better. Um, and great, great little movie, uh, won tons of awards, even more than, than filling in. And, uh, and yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of that one. So what is it like to balance that? Is it just watching the clock all the time? Is it saying, Hey, we can't take another take of this. Is it stuff like that or? Yeah. So I'm, basically whispering in the in the director's ear the whole time uh saying well and, and really everybody making sure hey you know we we have scheduled however many hours it is it's three hours for this one hour is our setup we're supposed to be shooting for an hour and a half and then we've got a, a half hour to to tear everything yeah. down um and so it's watching that clock and saying listen it's time to start shooting how close are we uh, and just kind of putting that pressure on people because, you know, creatives, they'll keep tweaking things forever if you let them yeah, <laughs> to make will. it better. Uh, but at some point, it has to be good enough to, to get going or we don't have anything. So uh, it's putting that pressure on. Uh, it's, it's bugging the director and saying, hey, we really need to move on. Or what Brad likes about me is that I won't tell him no. I will say, listen, you can do that another three times. But what are you letting go of later? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's just basically putting those options in front of, of the director and saying, what do you want to do? What's, what's the most important thing to you right now? So, oh, well, we can talk about the, the, the new production later, I guess. Okay. Um, what is it back to, circling back to uh, how you manage your your teaching and uh getting people home on time how does that for you how do you manage your work life and your family life and because it can be very different things yeah uh, conflicting things it's my wife remember reminding me occasionally that i can't do everything <laughs> um <laughs> it's your wife being the ad for your life yeah you exactly can... yeah uh so i i mean i i 
if I'm going to sign on for anything, I, I will run it past her uh, to get her advice first um, because I, I never want to leave my, I don't want to put my, my family on the back burner. Um, now my kids are older now, so they, you know, have their own little lives as, uh, teenagers. Um, so it, it, in some ways it feels like they need us less, except they need us to drive them everywhere Everywhere. (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, I don't know that I have any magic formula for how to balance all of that. I just try to keep a pulse on everything. And, um, I, I heard this this description one time that, that, you know, we're all juggling, right? And some of, but some of the balls that we're juggling are rubber balls and some of the balls that we're juggling are glass. Mm. Um, and so you can occasionally drop something, but you better hope it's one of the rubber balls. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, and, and I think that in life, some things change from rubber to glass. I'm from glass to rubber. Exactly. And so it's a matter of, yeah, we're always juggling. Uh, for me, it's juggling a full-time job. It's juggling filmmaking. It's juggling freelance work that I do or consulting work that I do. It's my family. It's my studies. Um, and at times, some of those things are going to get dropped. But I don't want, I don't really ever want my family to be the thing that drops. Mm. So... Does the, do your kids ever get a kick out of, oh, my dad's a filmmaker? Well, they get a kick out of being in them. Usually they, oh, okay. they, they, they usually get called in to do something. Now, um, well, we'll talk. you said we'll talk about the other one. So this weekend, uh, my youngest is going to be in a little pickup scene for the current film. But both of them were in calf rope. Uh, my oldest was the newspaper delivery boy, and my youngest was in the, the Cub Scout scene. Um, I don't think either of them were in filling in. Most of that was shot in Rochester, New York, so they weren't around. Can we talk about uh, Night Voices? Or yeah, sure. Let's talk about uh, Night Voices. Is are you? You probably know it better than I do. Well, so Night Voices is the film, the short film that we just shot. Um, this was again written by Brad, and it was co-written by um, Peter Fenton, who ended up being producer on the project as well. And um, I, I, I should probably know the log line for it, but um, how I describe it is a um, sort of a, a rundown uh, DJ kind of talk show host um, is uh, his, uh, saved by his, uh, an, in, uh, an unexpected interaction yep. with his nephew. And um, you guys are right. And so that took, what was it, a weekend? We shot that over four days, essentially four nights, um, four afternoons <laughs> into evenings, into mornings, um, over Labor Day weekend. So we started Thursday afternoon of Labor Day weekend, and we finished uh, early Monday morning. When do you think that can be expected to be pushed out, do you think? I think the the post production. I'm not editing this one. I've okay. I've passed off that job to to somebody else. I'll be doing the visual effects. So I was first AD on the project, and uh, and I'll be visual effects as well. And I was co uh, co producer and continue to co produce that project. Um, I believe the schedule is hope hope to have post production done by the end of the year. And. So be sure to check out uh, Dadly Productions. Um, shout out to them for their night voices and check out all the other great stuff on there as well. Yeah, and this is a, a another great story. Um, Absolutely. Meaningful and um, I think unexpected. And, uh, Dark the, Pixar. Sure. The most... <laughs> it's, the, it's the most explicitly faith-based film that Dadly Productions has done. But it is not squeaky clean, or yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to necessarily it's, describe it's it. It's like a dark Pixar. Movie. Yeah, it's yeah. Dark Pixar. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Tear jerking feelings, um, but not afraid to get down and dirty. Yeah, absolutely. So I have some general questions to ask you before, as we're ending off our time here. You have uh, had an experience with Jane Leno. Oh yeah. I heard. Well, so back. Uh, 
backing up to my internship uh, in LA, um, we were we, where we lived was right on the outskirts of Burbank. Uh, and one evening, I was coming home from my internship, and I got into the hallway. I was, I think, I was checking the mail, and I looked down the hallway, and there was a huge crowd outside of our apartment door. And my first thought was that one of my roommates had died or something. <laughs> so I started walking down the hall. Nobody seemed too like worked up about anything. So I was like, all right, um, don't really understand what's happening here. So I start walking towards the door. And as I walk towards the door, Jay, Jay Leno walks out of my apartment into the hallway. And I was like, hi. He said, hi. Oh, hi. I'm Jay Leno. I said, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> he said, um, "We're doing, you know, we're we're doing a, a little shoot here. Uh, do you do you have any talent? Like, are you in show business or anything?" I said, "Well, I I intern at a production company." He's like, "No, no, no. Do you like have any sort of talent?" I said, "Well, I can play the guitar." He said, oh, "Well, let's go to your apartment." I was like, "You're in my apartment." <laughs> so we they turn around, we walk back into the apartment, and. Now I see the camera crew and the light in, in the apartment. They're messing around with my roommate who is standing next to Howie Mandel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so the shtick was that um, they were looking for a new opening act for Howie Mandel's comedy show. And, uh, and so I guess I auditioned for Howie, Howie Mandel's opening act in my, in my apartment kitchen playing Kumbaya on the guitar with a vegetable strainer on my head. <laughs> Again, these were the days before YouTube, so I'm not sure anybody can find that clip. <laughs> what resulted out of that? Was it just what was the conversation after where where you said when you and your roommate were alone, what was the conversation that happened at that point? Um well, it's just you you have no idea what's going to happen after that because they're not going to call you and let you know whether you're going to be on or not. Right. Um, and so it's just, you're, I think we expected it to be on one night, but it ended up being on earlier. And the only reason I, I knew to record it was we're on the West coast. So we're behind mm -hmm. my mom actually saw like the preview before the nightly news or something like that. And she said, I just saw you on the preview for, <laughs> for the tonight show. So then I knew to, to record it. And that's, how I have, I think, the only existing copy of that. <laughs> That's awesome. Was it all it, it was hyped up to be into uh, me, Jay Leno, and Hallie Mandel, or was it just yeah, it regular was, people? It was fun. I, I actually understood the interaction more years later because um, I felt like Howie Mandel was acting kind of weird. Well, Jay Leno had, like, he was hoarse. Like, he was, like, maybe feeling a little under the weather. Well, if you know anything about Howie Mandel now, He's a germaphobe. Yes. So yeah. I think he was a little standoffish because he was all worked up about Jay Leno having a cold or something like oh that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you didn't even get a chance to shake Howie's hand or anything, I guess. Uh, gosh, I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, but I don't remember him. I don't remember him being weird that way with with me. But I don't know that I tried to shake anybody's hand. I don't know. It's a, it's a, what a random situation to walk into. Yeah, it's like yeah. Jay Leno walking in. But, hey, I'm Jay Leno. Yeah, yeah I'm aware. <laughs> what are you doing here? What's going on? <laughs> That's so funny. So, yeah, um, back to the actual general questions that I have for you. Yeah. Not every, not, I can ask everybody, who, who, when did you meet Jay Leno? <laughs> um, what is worship to you? Oh, wow. Well, that's... That's an interesting question to ask somebody who's on the technical side of worship because uh, a lot of worship times <laughs> we are behind a screen in a different room Doing behind everything a camera. You're not supposed to do yeah, yeah. Um, and so you have to find a way to uh, still worship through that. And so um, I definitely subscribe to the idea that I think is scriptural <laughs> that. Uh, everything we do can be worship uh, mm -hmm. if it's done with the the right attitude and the right heart behind it. Um, so I've even had conversations with people in our church when uh, they've complained about a camera operator moving around on stage during worship. 
and I I have to go back to them and say, well, you have to understand, you you don't have any trouble with a guitarist up there walking around with their guitar playing. That is that person's instrument. So when they're moving around with that camera, they are serving and worshiping through that act. And so I I don't think uh, worship is singing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's the worship service in and of itself. I think worship is anything that we do to glorify God. And if anything, during that time, it shouldn't matter what's going on on stage anyway because it's not a show. Right. It's your time with God being, you're being led through a song, yeah, but it's not a concert. Right. You shouldn't, anything that happens on stage, uh, granted if it's significant enough, maybe you should pay attention to it. Well, there was that one time that our pastor passed out, but you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever, (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) Jeez, that must have been scary. Mm Mm-hmm. It's probably uh, one of the worst things that's ever happened, or one of the funniest, maybe. Uh, it was not funny, no. Right. Well, <laughs> you can look back on it now and be like, that was kind of funny, but uh, also in the moment. Yeah, definitely scary. Um, All good? All, All good. good. Okay, yeah, good. he had just had like a stomach bug, and he was like, oh, yeah, I think I'll be fine. He wasn't no. fine. <laughs> hey, listen, if you, if you ever... Well, first rule, never lock your knees. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen so many people do that, and... And they're gone. Uh, but if you're not feeling up to snuff, don't force yourself out into a crowd. Just it safe and sorry, always. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes that you've seen students make or you yourself have made, and how can we curb that for future generations? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, man. I, I think I'll just stick to myself. Um, one of the first wedding videos that I produced on my own I learned the difference between heavy-duty batteries and alkaline batteries because I stuck heavy... They were cheaper, so I stuck the heavy-duty batteries in my wireless microphones, and they died five minutes into the wedding ceremony because heavy-duty batteries die... Like, they... um, The... uh, I guess the the full current or the full voltage dies off pretty quickly, and then they kind of trickle out, whereas alkalines are are more consistent. And so for electronic equipment... uh, you need alkaline batteries. So I learned that pretty quickly. Very good tip. Yeah. Make sure you learn. Um, what's one of the most memorable pieces of advice anyone has ever given you? Wait, I'm not done. Oh, you're telling... not even done. Yeah. Oh my oh, goodness. Okay, I, have go so... I have so many mistakes go that ahead. I made. <laughs> I think the closest that I've ever gotten to being fired from a production job was um, I was working at a place called Channel 5 News in Reading. It was just a small local news uh, program through the cable company and that that the 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 cable company decided to can the the newscast and they turned it into like a news magazine show instead it required fewer people so it was a cost-saving measure anyway um so we start into this news magazine show they get all these political candidates to do a, a political thing one day and um and while i was walking through the office area one of the phones started ringing. Well, I knew that was the phone of one of the previous anchors, a buddy of mine from the newscast who wasn't there anymore. So I was like, well, I should probably answer that and tell them that he's no longer here. So I answer the phone. It's a, it's a political candidate saying that they're going to be five minutes late. And I said, well, we, we just finished shooting that segment. Oh, okay. I don't know how we, how we messed that up. Okay. So I hang up. And uh, minutes, I don't know, later, the uh, producer's running around going, so-and-so didn't show up. I was like, huh. Well, I think I just got off the phone with them. Uh, but we already, sh- he's, he said, no, we have two segments. What, like, it was probably like Democrats right. and Republicans. He's like, we've got two segments. Um, so he basically told me that I was never allowed to answer a phone again. <laughs> so don't answer phones that don't belong don't to you. <laughs> Okay, what was your next question? All right, so what was one of the most <laughs> memorable... Maybe that's it. <laughs> most memorable pieces of advice that anyone's ever given you? Um, advice. Hmm. Don't answer phones that don't belong to you. No. Um, Probably. Appa- apparently nothing. I don't... <laughs> advice. Um... So I guess this is memorable advice. I didn't take it, but it, it, it goes back to 
our your question of how do you balance all of these aspects of life that chair of the music department he's no longer here dan hollingsworth uh he had given me advice that i should put my family or even my wife my kid i should put my family on my calendar mm. um and so i have not taken that advice i don't literally put my family on my calendar although i guess i I kind of do because I have all of my kids' things on the calendar now, like what all of their football games and and musical rehearsals and things like that. But uh, his advice was put put your fam- you put things on your calendar that you don't want to miss. So put your family on your calendar so that you are setting aside time for them. Um, so I have not literally do, done that, but I, I I think I I do it without doing it. Well, absolutely. Well, because I. When I didn't keep a calendar, uh, I would overbook or whatever. Um, and some people will say the same thing about Bible. Make sure you schedule mm. your Bible time, right? Because yeah. you won't do it otherwise. Same kind of concept applies to family. It might seem cold, but us humans are wired to routine and to schedule. And if you don't have that on your routine or schedule, it's going to go, you're not going to think about it anymore. Yep. yep, yep. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, good. I didn't think I was interesting enough for this. No, I think I think you're very interesting enough, um, considering all the all the things you've done in the Jay Leno story and the Howie Mandel story, and all you're uh, one of the better teachers that I've had here at OBC. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, of course, and I definitely think you have a lot to say and a lot of wisdom to impart, and I think that has been given. Awesome. If you want to check out um, our story. Be sure to look up the story, Corey Rosen, at C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N on all streaming platforms. You can find us there. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do your streaming, you can find us. Make sure you check us out there. This Sunday, 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 we have Plunder and Lightning, a, a really fun band, obviously, uh, it's a metal band. Thunder and Lightning, but they make it Plunder and Lightning. They're a pirate band, so it's, that's oh, the whole that's the right. whole shindig there. I'm really excited to talk to them coming up Sunday at 2 p.m. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you guys later. Thanks. Bye.